please stand for opening prayer by Councilman Paul Riddick, and please remain standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. Mr. Riddick. Heavenly Father, we come to you this afternoon thanking you for all the blessings you bestow upon us as a city. We thank you for the blessings you bestow upon our citizens and all those persons who reside within. We ask you to give us the ability to do this job in a fair and just manner. And we'd just like to take a moment of silence in memory of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. These and all the blessings we ask in thy name. Amen. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Mr. Clark, please call the roll. Ms. Graves? Here. Ms. Johnson? Here. Mr. Riddick? Here. Dr. Wibley? Here. Mr. Alexander? Here. The motion is to excuse Councilwoman McClellan, Councilman Smeagol, and Councilman Thomas. Ms. Graves? Aye. Ms. Johnson? Aye. Mr. Riddick? Aye. Dr. Wibley? Aye. Mr. Alexander? Aye. Uh, the City Manager, Douglas Smith, will present the proposed budget for the fiscal year July 1st, 2018, through June 30th, 2019. Welcome, Mr. Smith. Thank you, Mayor. <clears throat> uh, over the, uh, Mayor Alexander, members of City Council, I'm pleased to stand before you this evening to present the City Manager's budget proposal for the fiscal year 19. Over the next 45 minutes or so, I will offer some opening and closing thoughts about this budget and your vision for Norfolk. The rest of the presentation will provide you and your citizens with a breakdown of the components of the budget the national, regional, and local economic context that constrains our capacity, an explanation of the process we used to develop this proposal, and the guiding principles that shaped our thinking. I will relate this proposal to last year's budget promises and paint a quick picture of the groundwork we're laying for the 2020 budget. I want you to understand that we have listened and heard what you have told us these past 16 months. Your priorities are embedded and reflected in this budget proposal. On a November evening 16 months ago, you asked me to be your interim city manager. In many ways, the discussion we had that evening set the tone for this budget when Mrs. McClellan looked across at me and asked, using Mrs. Johnson's favorite word, are you bold? Because we want to do great things. This, this budget is bold. At our first retreat together, you reaffirmed your priorities of housing, education, and public safety. You made it clear that addressing poverty would be the most impactful way to create the resilient Norfolk we all aspire to see. The refinement of this budget started in earnest during your February re retreat when we talked about the idea that we are living in a city moment. We acknowledged then that cities are the networks and ecosystems that are resilient and adaptive. It is cities that are able to bring interdisciplinary and multi-sectoral problem solving to bear on the problems and challenges of this century. And our challenges will not be solved by the 20th century model of big government and big corporations. The 21st century model will be one of network-driven problem solving at the city level. During your retreat, we started the pivot in our economic development focus that will build on the tremendous placemaking strategy of the past decade as we shift to a strategy based on inclusive economic growth, where broad economic opportunity is not a nice to have, but rather a fundamental aspect of an economic growth and business success. For businesses to adapt successfully to rising competition from abroad and disruptive technologies, they must be able to draw from local communities that are adequately preparing 
for the rigors of the modern economy, regardless of class or race. In short, employers need talent, and talent needs access. At its core, in its essence, a city's budget reflects a community's dreams, aspirations, and values. And this budget proposal reflects all those things in your bold vision for Norfolk. On January 24th, you adopted a resolution about the St. Paul's community, a resolution grounded in the notion of people first, acknowledging FDR's assertion that the test of our progress is not whether we add more to the abundance of those who have much. It is whether we provide enough for those who have too little. During his State of the City address, the mayor challenged everyone to reimagine Norfolk. He said, new opportunities will reshape and define us for years to come, but our progress as a city will ultimately be determined by our ability to think anew, to dare to dream and to reimagine this old seaport city as the coastal community of the future and the hub of economic development and the connector and the strength of the region. The mayor said leaders before us made bold decisions that gave us security and momentum that transformed our city. And the mayor continued, now it is our time to be bold and courageous and reimagine Norfolk. Last week, Deputy City Manager Catherine Whitesell took you back through the budget realities we are facing. Revenue constraints, paying for generational projects, a $27 million reduction in annual state aid, the very real infrastructure backlog facing all core cities. And while the budget proposal I'm recommending to you changes our approach to debt, investment, and maintenance, it enables you to address the challenges we face in bold and meaningful ways. We are building a great city. Norfolk's renaissance is well underway, and we are reimagining Norfolk. We are reimagining ways in which all citizens can thrive, and we are reimagining ways in which to educate and train our students and our workforce. We are reimagining how and where we live, reimagining our neighborhoods. So now let's move to the budget proposal. Yours is a $1.3 billion financial plan, and here you can see just how it breaks down. The general fund, enterprise funds, special revenue funds, internal service funds make up the $1.2 billion operating fund. Add capital improvement plans and the annual uh, plan for HUD block grants, and you get a $1.3 billion budget. The budget is progressive and enables you to address the challenges we face in meaningful ways. It makes government more efficient in delivering our core services, it addresses neglected investments in infrastructure and vital equipment, and it responds to your directive to be bold by investing in transformational initiatives around education, safety, and housing. So what's in the budget? You can look on the screen and see there's support for Norfolk Public Schools. There's a reduction in the waste management fee. There are significant investments in coastal, economic, and neighborhood resilience. There are fee increases, and I'll talk to you in detail about those fee increases. Uh, there are employee wage increases and market adjustments for those employees that are severely out of market. Uh, I'll tell you now, there is a real estate tax increase of 10 cents, and I'll talk to you about that in detail. Uh, there is money for the redevelopment of St. Paul's. Um, there are investments in technology, vehicles, and equipment. And there will be a reduction in the workforce, and I'll talk to you in some detail about that. Uh, there is also a 2% supplement for retirees. This budget was developed under a framework of fiscal discipline, and I'll talk about what that means. Over the past few years, the city has put renewed focus on strengthening our financial policies. The proposed 19 budget is guided by those financial policies, but put in place by city council to strengthen long-term sustainability and improve our internal controls. Fiscal discipline is crucial to ensuring the city will withstand swings in the economy. It requires fully funding our reserves and ensuring that our debt is sustainable. 
Debt affordability will remain a significant challenge in the coming years as we pay for generational projects. Please understand the city is in full compliance with its legal debt margins and self-supporting debt affordability measures. And while this budget is balanced, we are using a one-time source of funds, your 2017 surplus, to reduce our 2019 expenditures by applying those funds to debt service in 2019. The city continues to, to maintain fully funded reserves. This includes the general fund unassigned reserve, which has a minimum goal of 5% or $43.1 million this year, as well as a risk management reserve of $5 million and economic downturn reserves of $5 million as well. These reserves are designed to reduce risk to the city, which is self-insured, and to mitigate the impact of short-term recessions. Our credit rating is strong with all three rating agencies, and in October, S&P boosted the city's rating outlook from stable to positive, highlighting Norfolk's strong management conditions and financial discipline. Make no mistake, our, our city faces some real challenges, and I'll talk about those challenges. We spent a good deal of time at your retreat in February discussing the, the challenges facing our regional economy with economist Greg Grutendorst of the Hampton Roads Planning District Commission. Catherine Whitesell reviewed these charts with you again last week, as you, as, as discussed, and as discussed on both occasions, Hampton Roads has seen comparatively slow growth in its employment rate. It has been eight and a half years since the Great Recession, since the end of the Great Recession, but civilian employment in the region is not recovering as quickly as the rest of the state or the nation. And this has a negative effect on our consumer-based revenues, not to mention our overall growth. In fact, compared to other U.S. metro areas, Hampton Roads had the fourth lowest employment growth in the country. And while we are proud of the nearly 6,000 jobs brought to Norfolk by projects like Waterside, the Main, the Premium Outlet Mall, and employers like Optima Health, Movement Mortgage, Norfolk Southern, and ADP within the last two years, our growth is still not robust. Another challenge we face is the reality that the real estate tax was reduced from $1.40 to $1.11 in front of the worst recession since the Great Depression. This made sense at the time. Real estate assessments were booming and homeowners were demanding relief. Since that time, the tax rate has been raised to $1.15, of which two cents is designated for Norfolk Public Schools debt service. But as we all know, during the recession, real estate assessments dropped precipitously, and we have seen an average growth of only 0.5%. Generally speaking, we need to see real estate assessments grow between 4 and 5% per year to keep up with expenditure inflation, provide a modest salary increase to employees, and increase our local contribution to schools. Contrast that with the last 10 years. The growth is far below our 20 and 30 year growth rates of 5% and 4.3% respectively. And despite this recent growth in assessments, the average resident is still paying $168 a year less in real estate tax than during the fiscal year 10 peak. And while this budget emphasizes those things we can control, like our expenditures and local revenues, we must acknowledge and recognize those things out of our control that significantly impact us. One I mentioned was the regional economy. The other is state aid. State aid is a large portion of our revenue, making up 38% of the general fund in 18. Much of the state aid that the city receives goes to Norfolk Public Schools. But financial support from the state has not kept pace with inflation since 2009. In 2009, the city received a total of $338 million in state aid. In 2018, that amount has decreased by $27 million. That reduction is even bigger when you consider the impact of inflation. The $338 million the city received in 2009 
is worth $385 million in today's dollars. This means in, infl in inflation-adjusted dollars, the state aid to the city has declined by about $74 million in the last 10 years. The decline in state support is, significantly impacts the ability to fund your priorities. Some of our challenges are a result of prior decisions. For appropriate reasons, between 2007 and 2017, the city's general capital improvement plan averaged almost $100 million a year as we made, general inter as we made generational investments across the city. Interest rates were at, at historic lows, and we made strong commitments to, to public education, to being a multimodal community, and investing in economic development as a catalyst for job growth. So we invested in projects like light rail, Slover Library, a new cruise terminal, and over the last eight years, eight new schools. We also had to build a new courthouse to address impending legal action from the Norfolk judges. However, as we discussed last year, we have shifted toward a maintenance CIP, and the delicate balance we now face is how to pay down our debt, but continue to invest in maintaining, managing facilities, and stimulating our economy. Norfolk finances nearly all capital projects with bonds or 20-year debt. The blue bars in this graph uh, is the debt that's been issued on which we are making debt service payments. The gold sections are debt that we have yet to issue. This includes $40 million on the courthouse that opened in February, $34 million for five new schools, four of which are already open, and the projects in the five-year CIP. With the expectation of improving economic uh, conditions and to mitigate the budgetary pressures, the city actively managed its debt by spreading the issuance of bonds and payments over several years. As the debt for these projects is fully issued, this has created a rising debt service cost to the city over the next several years. What is not included are projects that are not, are projects not proposed in the five-year CIP, such as a career and technical education school, a replacement of SCOPE, a replacement of Maury High School, major resiliency projects, or major physical investment in St. Paul's. This does not mean we cannot do these projects, but that we must continue to think strategically about our future investments. As a result of these investments, over the next two years, our ongoing annual debt service will grow by $15.8 million. Over four years, that becomes nearly $20 million a year. And while, while we are presenting you, we, we, while we are presenting, and you will adopt the 19 budget, we must keep an eye on future expenditures and revenues. We do that in part by creating a biennial budget for planning purposes. Fiscal year 2020 will be here before we know it. During the recession, we made the decision to defer investments in technology, vehicles, and equipment. That helped us get through tough times, but it means we now have aging equipment that is fast becoming outdated and unusable. Maintenance on older equipment is more expensive and in some instances subjects the city to security and safety risks. <clears throat> At last week's work session, we talked about how the phone system needs upgrading. So do the computers. In fact, 82% of city computers are five years old or older. In general, the useful life of a computer is three to five years. We have done our best to maintain the equipment we have, but we're getting to a breaking point. It's time to start investing in technology again. Our vehicles face the same fate. Last week, Catherine showed you a picture of a vehicle that had been in service since 1986. And that's one extreme, but the average isn't much better. Almost 70% of our fleet inventory is beyond its useful life. We have over 1,400 vehicles, including 400 public safety vehicles, and hundreds of pieces of heavy machinery, including equipment used to repave roads. As these vehicles age, more and more money is required for maintenance and repairs. 
means vehicles that could be out serving our, our residents are instead sitting in the shop. As you've seen, we face many challenges, and it's a lot to consider, so let me summarize them for you. The real estate tax was reduced from $1.40 to $1.11 in front of the worst recession since the Great Depression. Over the past 10 years, real estate assessments have grown only 0.4% per year. <laughs> Annual debt service is projected to grow nearly $20 million by 2022 as we pay for generational projects. We still have $120 million on our line of credit to be issued for projects already built. State support has decreased over the past 10 years by $27 million when adjusted for inflation this decrease is about $74 million. The bottom line is new investments require new revenue. The result of these economic challenges is what led to the $13.3 million preliminary base budget gap we presented at the September Council retreat. So how did we close that $13.3 million gap? Let's talk about the budget development process. This year, we made a commitment to City Council to start the budget process early and make it inclusive. Beginning in October, we held interactive budget challenges with city staff and residents, in which we asked, how would you solve the budget gap? Doing so, we collected feedback that helped us understand our residents' priorities. In December, we launched Balancing Act and Taxpayer Receipt, an interactive online platform where residents could share their priorities and see what, their services, what services their tax money buys. Then in January, we formed two committees from representatives of key departments, one focused on general fund operating budget and the other focused on the capital improvement plan. Each committee held several meetings over the course of the last few months to review the city's needs and come up with collaborative and creative solutions to help balance the budget and still enable the city to provide its core services. What we've learned is that Norfolk residents have a vision of the future that aligns with what we see as Council's priorities. When asked about the single biggest issue facing the city over the next several years, residents highlighted education, flooding, infrastructure, and safe neighborhoods. And we believe this budget demonstrates a commitment to those areas. If residents didn't get a chance to be involved in the process yet, there'll be more opportunities to do so. You will be holding themed work sessions with the city council over the next eight weeks. And you can see the themes for each of these work sessions on the slide. In addition, the Balancing Act site, which currently shows the preliminary base budget, will be updated with the proposed budget and will soon be available for resident feedback on the proposal. I mentioned that we set up a committee to help work through general fund operating budget. To support that process, we created a comprehensive program catalog in which every department made a list of their programs and identified related revenues and expenditures. This allowed the committee to consider the cost benefit of all city programs and clarify trade-offs between different spending options. The committee also requested gap reduction strategies from every department based on targets. Each department was given the task of identifying either expenditure cuts or increases in revenue that would help the city close the gap. Targets were set to reach a goal of $14 million. These targets were 2% from public safety, 2% from appointee and constitutional offices, and 5.5% from executive departments. We used a number of guiding principles as we worked to balance the budget. This included, long -term goal, this included the long-term goal to grow the economy, but also principles related to short-term solutions to reduce expenditures and increase revenues with an overarching principle of inclusiveness. Our guiding principles for expenditures are based on cost, quality, and efficiency. And we strive to deliver the right services at the right cost. 
provide excellent core services, and meet citizen expectations when it comes to technology and modernization. We also strive to be efficient in ways we provide services, so we took a hard look at facilities and programs that are either underutilized or available elsewhere. So where did that lead us? 74% of department operating budgets are personnel. That means budget cuts necessarily require considering personnel reductions. Directors were asked to review their organization and identify program areas where services could be consolidated or reduced while maintaining their core services. <clears throat> that review resulted in the identification of 82 permanent positions that could be eliminated, 45 that were filled and 37 that are vacant. Individuals impacted by this reduction in force were all notified by their supervisors last week. We will work with those employees to find them positions within the organization between now and June 29th. Those that do not find other jobs will receive severance packages of one to three months salary based on their tenure. A few facilities were identified for closure. The Hartwick and Bayview group homes for individuals with de developmental disabilities began operating with residents in June of 2012. The original intent was that the service revenue would cover the operational costs. That has turned out to not be the case. The home <coughs> operates at a loss, despite the programs providing quality services to its residents. We are in the process of notifying the residents' families of our recommendations to close the facilities. The Norfolk Community Services Board will work with all stakeholders to identify new homes for the six current residents and coordinate the moves. Private providers are available in the area and have capacity for this population. Jordan Newby Branch Library was identified for closure as it is less than a mile away from the new Broad Creek Library. Jordan Newby will be closed when Broad Creek opens and staff will be transferred to Broad Creek. Diggstown and Oakleaf Community Resource Centers were identified for closure based on utilization and proximity. They are within a half mile of, another, of other resource centers on the south side, and in calendar year 17, Oakleaf and Diggstown Community Resource Centers averaged 12 and 9 visits per day. Services from these centers will be consolidated into the Campus Dallas Center. Departments and the committees also identified areas where savings could be generated by reducing services. Street maintenance will see an 8% reduction, which will bring expenditures closer in line with what BDOT will reimburse. The city will also be reducing its contribution to outside agency partners. As city partners, we ask that they share in the burden of making cutbacks. Recognizing public safety is one of your priorities, we limited the reductions in the fire department to 8 tenths of 1%. We limited reductions in the police department to 1.65% in our strategies for closing our budget gap. You will see in a few minutes that we are recommending to restore those funds to the police department through revenues generated by an increase in the real estate tax. Finally, as mentioned earlier, Council made the decision to use one-time savings from fiscal year 17 to reduce our debt service obligation by $5.1 million in 2019. We didn't just look for cuts. We also looked at where we could raise revenues under the direction of a new fee philosophy. When considering city fees, we identified areas where fees make sense. For example, the city should charge a fee to recoup for services that are provided by the private or nonprofit sector, are discretionary, or enable the service recipient to earn a profit. We're also mindful that in making these fee changes, we don't unduly burden our low-income residents. We are working with our Human Services Department on a plan to provide a discount card to residents who qualify for certain social services. These residents will qualify for a reduced price for certain city services. Using these guiding principles for fees, the budget includes nearly $3 million in additional fee revenue. Examples of these, fee rev of these fees 
uh, fee increases uh, are on the screen and include before and after school programs, cemetery fees, planning fees, right-of-way fees, the zoo admission fees, uh, the zoo admission fee, and others. A full list of fee changes can be found in the proposed budget. This was a challenging process. Our staff worked hard and dug deep to come up with strategies. There are no easy solutions, but we did balance the budget. I'd like to walk you through how we built this budget. Our starting point is fiscal year 18. There's a fiscal year 18 budget for revenues and expenditures, which was $857 million. We then took out, took out those items that were only one-time expenses and one-time revenues. And then we added the required increases, things like annualized salary increases, increases in benefit costs, debt service, other non-discretionary costs like contracts and inflation, new initiatives, and recognized an accounting transfer of the tax increment financing fund. On the revenue side, we added revenue based on growth in the real estate assessments and growth in consumer tax revenue in some state aid. As you can see here, before our reduction strategies, we were looking at a significant gap. But at the fall retreat, council agreed it would be appropriate to reduce our expenses in 19 by using $5.1 million in savings from 17 to, to prepaid debt service for 19. And the result of our committee and department efforts, reducing personnel, cutting services, closing facilities, and increasing fees means that we have balanced the budget. This budget is balanced at $862 million, which represents a growth rate of less than 1% over fiscal year 18. So as you can see, a balanced budget in, eight, in 19 is possible without a tax increase, but it isn't without sacrifice. What you get is the status quo. Your core services would be maintained with reductions across the board, but there would be no increase in support for Norfolk Public Schools, no salary increases for employees. The backlogs that were caused by delaying replacements will continue to grow. You get no new programs or services for residents, and you'll see a reduction to the police department budget. But Norfolk is better than status quo. We often speak of being bold. What does that mean and what does that cost? We've heard Council's vision for a resilient Norfolk of the future. It includes investments in the regeneration of St. Paul's, education, infrastructure and technology, public safety, flood mitigation, and our employees. We are well on our way to many of these goals, but continuing that momentum requires new revenues. So to support being bold and transformational, I'm proposing a 10 cent increase in our real estate tax rate. We can fund a great city and solve big problems. I'm going to show you what our plans are within each of these initiatives and highlight what we would pay for with the tax increase. As I go through this presentation, you'll notice that the initiatives are funded by the, that are funded by the tax increase will be identified in green, while initiatives that are funded with other sources will be showcased in blue. Let's talk about Norfolk Public Schools. Providing students with the quality education they need to succeed requires commitment, and Norfolk's commitment to schools remains strong. Currently, the city provides Norfolk Public Schools with operating support as well as in-kind services such as debt service, school resource officers, and facility and ground maintenance. In 18, the city provided $118 million in total ongoing operating support to Norfolk Public Schools. An increase in ongoing support of $5 million in the proposed budget is possible with a 2.7 cent real estate tax increase, which would bring the annual operating support to $123 million. The city will be providing $18.9 million in in-kind services and $3.7 million from a dedicated two-cent real estate tax that was established in 13. 
Last year, we proposed developing a plan for school funding, and I'm pleased to say we've completed that goal. An established policy will help align the interests of the city and Norfolk Public Schools, promote efficient use of resources, and allow the schools to share in revenue growth as Norfolk continues to thrive. It will shift the focus of the city's relationship with Norfolk Public Schools away from funding and promote process transparency. We also continued commitment to improving, maintaining, and constructing schools. Our capital improvement support for Norfolk Public Schools includes a million dollars in 19 for school bus acquisition and $6 million for major school maintenance. Another $15 million will be made possible in 19 through the Sustainable Water Initiative for Tomorrow, SWIFT project with Hampton Roads Sanitation District. By the end of this fiscal year, Hampton Roads Sanitation District will agree to pay the city $15 million for an option to purchase Lambert's Point Golf Course to establish SWIFT. By the end of the fiscal year, uh, if, if, if SWIFT is successful, if SWIFT is successful, HRSD will pay the city $15 million to exercise the option to purchase the golf course on or before December 31st, 2023. We are proposing that the funds from this transaction, $15 million in 18 and another potential 15 in 23, be placed in a school construction fund. City Council and the school board will decide how that money is leveraged. Great cities have great schools and the city will continue to work with Norfolk Public School System to build an outstanding education system for our students. As I mentioned during the, during the budget process, we identified 1.65% cuts, 1.65% in cuts to the Norfolk Police Department budget. We are proposing that you restore funding to the police department through the tax increase. A 0.65 increase to the real estate tax will restore the $1.2 million to avoid cuts in special duty pay or reductions in the size of the recruit classes. Chief Resilience Officer Christine Morris often says, Norfolk is not a city on the water. We are a city of the water. In the face of sea level rise, our city, led by Bowl Council, has become a global leader in developing solutions that not only address the problem, but provide benefits that will help the city and its residents grow. The world is watching what Norfolk is doing, and they are joining our efforts. The Rockefeller Foundation, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and countless others are coming to Norfolk because of City Council's resilient approach. While resilient Norfolk means so much more than managing stormwater and tidal inundation, the challenges presented by sea level rise will be front and center for our residents. We must focus energy and resources on some of our daily challenges related to funding, to flooding. We continue to find innovative way, new ways to increase the city's capacity to handle water, and we are partnering with state and federal agencies to find resources to reduce our risk of flooding. This new, this new resilient funds will give us the ability to continuously improve existing systems, and we are proposing that one cent of the real estate tax increase be designated to address recurring flooding challenges. The Capital Improvement Plan also demonstrates a significant investment in ongoing flood mitigation strategies. Over a five-year period, the Stormwater Capital Improvement Plan includes $27.4 million in investments to reduce flooding in neighborhoods by improving and clearing drainage structures and completing studies in neighborhoods throughout the city. $11.8 million to improve stormwater quality and $5.5 million to improve our stormwater system and facilities. Also included in the five-year plan are two new investments. $18 million to raise and reinforce the downtown flood wall, which is, which is required to meet FEMA regulations, and a million dollars to complete the city's investment in the inner ring of Spartan Village and to build an area for water to be safely retained. 
We spoke earlier about the impact of deferring the replacement of our technology, vehicles, and equipment. The city is currently unable to adhere to industry standard replacement requirements for computers and other hardware, so this backlog is growing every year. A 2.08 cent increase to the real estate tax rate would provide a total of $3.9 million that could be used to take the first step towards solving our technology and fleet backlogs. $2.3 million would be used to replace our oldest vehicles and mechanical equipment, including some of our top priority public safety vehicles, and allow us to update eligible vehicles with snowplow blades to address the winter storms that are becoming more normal. It would also provide a million and a half dollars to replace our oldest technology and telephone infrastructure, including the public safety communications system. When employees are waiting on the desk because their computers are waiting on the help desk because their computers are not working, that's not efficient government. We have kicked this can down the road for years and have resorted to paying for necessary software licenses by using short-term debt. That is not sustainable. And while this funding won't solve the problem in one year, it's a significant step toward replacing the aging equipment that is necessary to provide residents with excellent core services. Great neighborhoods are the foundation to a great city, and we are, and we are committed to continued investment in our neighborhoods. In the five-year CIP, we are proposing an investment of $92.3 million in a total of 22 neighborhood projects. This slide highlights just a few. The CIP, the CIP plan includes $750,000 $750, a year to fund the complete street initiatives that promote safe access for pedestrians, bicyclists, motorists, and transit users of all ages. This project continues to fill in pedestrian trails and sidewalks so that children can walk safely to their schools and bus stops. We are also investing $8.75 million over five years to strengthen neighborhoods through affordable housing. This is a tremendous project that works in two selected neighborhoods, Ingleside and Monticello Village Oakdale Farms, over the next one to five years using targeted strategies to assist with increasing home ownership, supporting owner-occupied renovations, and providing down payment assistance to help improve and preserve affordable rental properties. We also plan to improve neighborhoods citywide, providing funds to acquire blighted properties and renovate buildings in selected neighborhoods, like the Neon Arts District, Park Place, Five Points, Church Street, and Ocean View. One of the goals when creating the proposed budget was to find projects we can finish. To that end, we will, we will invest $2.6 million to finish acquiring the remaining five properties identified in the Greater Wards Corner Comprehensive Plan. And finally, we plan to continue our partnership with the Elizabeth River Trail Foundation and contribute $250,000 to phase one of their capital campaign, which aims to raise a total of $3.5 million. Our total commitment to the Elizabeth River Trail is now $750,000. The proposed 19 budget invests in Team Norfolk. We know our greatest asset is people, and we couldn't do what we do without great employees. Of the real estate tax increase, 1.67 cents, or $3.1 million, would support a 2% general wage increase for all general and constitution officer employees in January of 19. The increase will also support a step increase for sworn police and fire employees and market rate adjustments for our most regionally out-of-market classifications. The increase also supports enhanced pay plans for sworn sheriff's deputies and 911 telecommunicators. We have worked with the sheriff and over the next four years will phase in a new pay plan to enhance pay and relieve compression. Sheriff deputies will receive the minimum of a new grade plan plus $500 for each year of service. The new plan takes into account an employee's tenure and on average a sheriff deputy will receive a 5% increase in 19. 
Our 911 operators work in high-pressure, high-stress work environment and are the first voice our residents hear when reporting an emergency. Currently, we are experiencing high turnover, which is not sustainable. We are proposing an enhanced pay plan that will provide an average 8.7% increase and brings us more in line with the region. Supporting employees means providing good benefits, and the cost of benefits goes up each year. We do our best to mitigate the impact to our employees. We made, we made actuarial adjustments to premium rates using best practices and made adjustments based on regional practices, which means employees with spousal tiers will contribute more for health care. On average, 73% of our employees will see no increase to their monthly contribution. We value the work of our current and prior workforce. The city's retirement system is an incredibly important part of our benefit package and helps us recruit the best and the brightest to the city. But a defined benefit retirement plan like the one we offer is no longer the standard and inherently entails significant budgetary risk. The city is committed to helping employees reach their retirement goals by providing a competitive, a competitive retirement benefit while maintaining the long-term financial viability of the retirement system. This year, we are proposing a 2% supplement for retirees. This supplement will apply to the first $36,000 of the retirement benefit for those who retired before July of 2014. This will help more than 83% of our current retirees. Much like the Commonwealth of Virginia did a few years ago, we'll be introducing reforms to our retirement system to mitigate future budgetary risks. These reforms include automatically enrolling all new employees and non-participating existing employees in the city's tax advantage 457 plan at a contribution rate of 1%. Employees will be able to opt out of this contribution, but we hope this nudge will set the table for increased personal retirement savings. And alignment, aligning retirement benefits for new hires and non-vested current employees with the Virginia Retirement System Hybrid Plan for Retirement Age and Average Final Compensation. During fiscal year 2019, the city will explore other strategies to mitigate the risk inherent in our retirement system while maintaining an attractive benefit to employees. Norfolk's residents are our most valuable asset, and this budget recognizes that, people, that our people come first. About eight months ago, we began meeting with residents of Tidewater Gardens, Young Terrace, and Calvert Square. We met with more than 400 people who shared their ideas, hopes, and concerns about the potential regeneration of the St. Paul's area. Key themes of those meetings have included crime and safety, housing education and health opportunities, recreation, shopping, and leisure, flooding, trash, and traffic, access to resources, and transparency. The city and NRHA immediately began to implement short-term supportive services and took actions to respond to residents' requests to upgrade lighting in Tidewater Gardens and Calvert Square and improve relationships with police. The city's long-term strategy is to implement People First, a comprehensive program that increases self-sufficiency, financial independence, new housing choices, and successful outcomes for families living in the St. Paul's area. We are proposing to use a total of 1.9 cents of the increased real estate tax rate for the regeneration of St. Paul's, including 1.63 cents for the People First initiative. And we're excited to propose investing $3 million in a plan that puts people first. The coordination of St. Paul's cannot be managed within our existing resources. We need people who work only on this project day in and day out if we want it to be done right. So we also plan to invest $500,000 in 19 to manage the entire initiative, which requires the remaining 0.27 cents of the 1.9 cents of the St. Paul's initiative, for the St. Paul's initiative. The city will also prioritize $500,000 in community development block grant funds 
for infrastructure improvements within the community. The investment in the people of the St. Paul's community and the physical environment will be a multi-year process. Cities have the unique ability to pull partners around the table to solve challenges together. And we will need support from all sectors, private, philanthropic, nonprofit, all levels of government, and most importantly, the residents to transform this community. The city is committed, and we are investing $14 million over the next five years in CIP funds for demolition and disposition to begin this work. This will be our legacy. This initiative will transform an area with high concentrations of poverty into a mixed-income, mixed-use community. A revitalized St. Paul's area provides a once-in-a-generation opportunity to demonstrate what inclusive economic development really means and to create an economic engine that will benefit the whole city. This neighborhood will be one of Norfolk's most desirable for those who embrace diversity, where families and residents from all income levels, races, ages, and cultures can live, learn, work, play, and thrive. Your vision for Norfolk is bold. It extends beyond the status quo and includes investments in your priorities and the, and the priorities of your residents. And these are not nice-to-have initiatives. These revenues allow us to build a great school system, to continue operating an excellent police force, to become more resilient to sea level rise, to begin a path to updating our aging technology and fleet, to invest in Team Norfolk, and to reimagine the future of St. Paul's. I am keenly aware that we are raising and spending taxpayer dollars. Residents need to understand, appreciate, and value what we will do with their money. They should also understand how they are impacted financially. I recognize the tax increase will not be popular with some residents and would like to give some perspective and context. In 2018, the average assessment of a home in Norfolk was about $209,000. The real estate tax on that home is $201 a month at the current rate of $1.15. In 19, the same home would be worth a little more, about $213,000. The real estate tax on that home would be about $204 a month without a tax increase. A 10 cent increase would add about $18 a month to the real estate tax on that home. That $18 from the tax increase and $3 from the assessment means the average homeowner would see an increase on their bill of $21 a month or $250, $252 for the year. Throughout this presentation, I've highlighted a few of our major capital improvement projects, but focused mainly on the operating fund. But there are other business operations that we run that operate out of enterprise and special revenue funds. Here you can see that we operate a number of funds that are identified separately from the general fund. And I'm not going to walk through all of them, but there are a few things going on with waste management and parking that I'd like to draw to your attention. Waste management is a division of public works that effectively manages the solid waste generated in the city. It was converted to a self-supporting special revenue fund in, in the 15 budget and exemplifies the city's goal of becoming a well-managed organization. Recently, SIPSA has reduced the solid waste disposal fee known as a tipping fee that is charged to localities. Those savings to the city have allowed us to do two things. Reduce fees to residents by $3 a month or $36 a year and invest in a more sustainable truck replacement plan which will allow us to replace about three additional trucks per year and relieve a small portion of the fleet backlog. The city of Norfolk has one of the largest municipally owned and managed parking systems in the country. The system includes 16 garages, 700 metered on-street spaces, nine surface lots. In total, the system includes 20,000 spaces, and the city processes more than 5 million transactions per year. In dense urban environments, expansive, reliable mass transit and parking structures are necessary for those who live in, work in, and visit downtowns. 
but our parking system has some challenges. Revenue does not cover the budgeted expenses. The, the parking fund is currently relying on its cash position to cover its revenue shortfall, and debt makes up about half its expenses. These challenges have resulted in long-term long maintenance being deferred and prevented any new investments in technology that enhance the customer experience. 19% of our garages are near the end of their 60-year useful life, and another 30% are between 21 and 40 years old. As, as, parking, as parking garages age, they are more expensive to maintain. Earlier this year, visitors and employees in the City Hall and Courts Complex felt the effect of aging parking infrastructure. The city closed a structurally unsound employee parking garage that removed over 400 spaces from our system and consolidated parking into one garage. The closure of the garage was a challenge for the system, but would have been even more challenging logistically and financially if the garage hosted long-term parking agreements. There is less than $400,000 in reserves available system-wide to pay for maintenance or renovation of our garages. To ensure the stability and reliability of our parking system, immediate investment into the fund is a necessity. This budget addresses the challenges of the, uh, the, this budget addresses the challenges of the parking fund through increases in user fees. The last increase of a short-term or hourly rate was five years ago in 13. The last increase to long-term rates was 20 years ago in 1998. Since that time, the consumer price index has increased 43%. The proposed long-term rate increases average 26.5%. These increases will be solely paid by the users of this service. Without these increases to the parking fund, the fund would need to be subsidized by citywide taxes from the general fund. Downtown parking would then compete for funding against the city's priorities. The adjustments to the parking fund will provide $5 million in additional annual revenue to improve financial stability and address the maintenance and infrastructure backlog of the system. Maintaining our infrastructure and taking care of our assets is an essential part of government and involves a broad spectrum of needs. The five-year general, the, the five general fund capital improvement plan reflects a maintenance level CIP, keeping planned amounts below $50 million each year and thoughtfully investing in strategic projects for a total of almost $190 million over the next five years. On this chart, that is represented by the gray bars. But investment and capital are supported by our special revenue and enterprise funds, including water, wastewater, stormwater, and parking. We are making major investments in our neighborhoods and downtown through these funds. In fact, we're investing more than half a billion dollars in capital improvements in the very things that are Council's priorities, schools, neighborhoods, flood mitigation, St. Paul's, and citywide infrastructure. Here you can see a breakdown of just how large an investment is going to each property, including the funding from SWIFT, over the next five years, we can invest $92 million in neighborhood projects, $53 million in schools, $56 million in flood mitigation and resilience projects, and $362 million in infrastructure citywide. So what's next? At the end of last year's budget presentation, we laid out a plan to set the groundwork for this year, and we kept our promises to you. We've adopted a comprehensive technology replacement strategy in this budget, to address our replacement backlog. We're proposing a school funding formula to add long-term stability to funding for Norfolk Public Schools. We commissioned studies on the renovation and expansion of the Scope Arena and Chrysler Hall and have plans to renovate Chrysler to provide updated lobbies, additional seating, a center aisle, and improved facilities. And we've begun the process of transforming St. Paul's through our People First initiative. There are a number of policy-related items that we plan to undertake in 19 as we prepare for 20. Here's what's next. 
We will complete a five-year strategic plan so that our long-term goals for the city can be matched with medium-term goals and short-term actions. Based around five focus areas, we're in the process of forming focus area teams and will soon embark on a strategic planning process that will help build an organizational culture built on creative problem solving and collaboration. Going forward, we plan to design our economic development around inclusive economic growth. And while we continue to execute and deliver high-profile place-based projects, we will also set our sights more broadly on strategies that will improve opportunities and quality of life for our neighbors who have historically struggled to keep pace and succeed in an ever-changing world. Everyone who chooses to be in Norfolk can thrive in Norfolk. We plan to deliver retirement reform plan that will reduce risk to our system, provide participants with additional retirement saving options, and continue to support our retirees. I've outlined the first phase in this presentation, but it will be a multi-phase process. These reforms will be critical as we enter the 2020 budget development and beyond in terms of maintaining near-term fiscal stability and long-term financial health. We will address our city transportation needs by advancing a comprehensive transportation strategy that will consider both our near-term mobility challenges as well as our long-term transportation infrastructure planning. We also plan to take a look at the leisure activities we offer across the city and develop a citywide recreation parks and open, plan, open space plan that will foster healthy lifestyles and capitalize on unique natural environment we enjoy in Norfolk. And we will coordinate with and support Norfolk Public Schools on a school modernization strategy that addresses critical infrastructure and maintenance needs. Our children are the future of our great city, and it's our responsibility to ensure they have the best possible environment in which to learn and thrive. Mayor Alexander, members of council, this is your moment. Today, the national media and scholars are writing about cities on the move, cities like Nashville, Pittsburgh, Copenhagen, San Diego, Indianapolis and Chattanooga, cities that face various crises and rose to meet their challenges. Tomorrow, they will be writing about the city of Norfolk, Virginia, because Norfolk is what's next. We must ask ourselves, what does a great city have? I submit to you that a great city has great and diverse people, people who thrive because they're educated and trained. A great city has great schools. A great city has healthy and active people. A great city has a vibrant arts and cultural scene. A great city has great neighborhoods. A great city takes care of its assets. You understand that the biggest problem facing cities is in fact complacency, an inability or an unwillingness to deal with the challenges we face. Challenges like poverty, sea level rise, and aging infrastructure. The Norfolk you lead understands that building a great city in the 21st century means making transformative changes and solving big problems to, to propel us forward. Building a great city in the 21st century means solving problems starting at the block level, the neighborhood level, the ward level, and the city level. Building a great city in the 21st century means preparing a broader and more diverse set of firms, workers, and communities to reach their potential, offering a compelling opportunity for growth. You asked me during my interview in June what my legacy would be if you gave me this position, and my answer has not changed. Our legacy will be that when we were leading Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia was the most collaborative, connected, creative, and competitive community. A city that was willing to tackle big challenges like sea level rise, poverty, and aging infrastructure. And we did so by taking on transformative projects in ways that became model for other citizens. We are building a great city, a city that is reimagined for tomorrow. This proposed budget is bold and visionary and helps move us closer to becoming the great city we want to be. This budget proposal 
represents a significant step in our journey toward building a great city of the 21st century. Tonight, I submit to you that Norfolk is what's next. Thank you. Mr. Smith, thank you very much for that presentation. Um, could you um, give us the public hearings on the budget, or, or if you can have someone to let the audience know and those who are watching uh, the next steps. This is a proposal. Uh, the manager proposes a budget. We will then dispose of the budget. We will have our deliberations, and we'll have public comment periods, and, and, the, and the manager will uh, highlight those public comment periods and, and give you an opportunity to to speak on uh, the manager's proposed budget. Uh, and then uh, we will have action on this, uh, on a budget uh, in the near future. Mr. No, manager. Right, Mayor, we're trying to find the, uh, the calendar over here, but I don't find mine in my book. So what you're gonna do, we're gonna have five work sessions. It's, up, told, it's up on the calendar, oh, Mr. I've told each of you that uh, my goal is for you all um, uh, in the community uh, to fully understand what's been proposed to you and um, to be able to shape this thing so as you said that it is your budget. So on Tuesday, uh, we'll really talk through you, th talk through with you what's in this budget. We we've changed the format a bit. Uh, we've got uh, a lot of information to, to share with you, but then we'll start in earnest um, on the 24th, and I'll come back to the public hearing. The, the 24th, the uh, theme of that workshop will be schools, technology, and equipment. Um, the um, third, we'll, we'll talk about employees and retirees. On the 8th, uh, neighborhoods and parking. And then on the 10th, we'll come back and talk about resilience infrastructure, debt, and the CIP. Um, and then on the 15th, uh, we'd have your reconciliation, so to bring all that together. The challenge I'll give you all is, is don't, try to don't try to solve it all next Tuesday. We've got five weeks to talk through all this. Uh, the, the public will have an opportunity to um, come to a hearing at Granby High School on the 18th of April and then back here for a public hearing on the real estate reassessment on the 10th of May. And then um, you all will adopt your budget um, on the 22nd of May. Thank you, Mr. Manager. Mr. Riddick, do you have any? It's a very ambitious uh, budget. Thank you. And we look forward to working you know, through it. And we really appreciate the effort of you and your uh, budget team. And I think we need to give them a hand. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Dr. Ribley, Dr. Ribley, do you have any, any comments? No, I just echo, echo what uh, Mr. Riddick said. This is, this is obviously a collaborative effort of uh, a lot of teamwork, and, and it's bold. And we appreciate that, so that's what we asked you all to do. Yep. Mrs. Graves. Um, I appreciate the way in which you presented the budget. Um, all of the many sessions leading up to this presentation, and then how you structured the conversations around the budget. I think it makes it, it certainly makes it much more palatable for me. I think it will make it much more palatable for the citizens. Um, and I also want to um, commend the team that worked on this budget. You have a lot of smart people working for you, and they make you look really good. <laughs> But thank you. <laughs> I told Stephen DeBerry beforehand. I'm just the pretty face. They do all the they do all the heavy lifting. <laughs> well, Mr. Manager, again, this is just a proposal. I... <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Ms. Johnson, any comments? Um, I would just like to say thank you, Mr. Manager. 
Thank you, Team Norfolk, and mostly thank you for to all of the citizens for taking your time out to come down and visit with us. And we do hope to see you at the other budget hearings as well. So thank you so very much. Thanks, Mayor, thank you. Yes, Appreciate it very much. You're right. The Budget and Strategic Planning Office in particular, Greg Patrick and his team have put in a lot of hours, a lot of weekends and a lot of evenings and uh, appreciate their work. But it's uh, we're not we recognize we're not done, but we look forward to the conversations. Thank you. All right. Thank you. This means adjourned. <laughs>